Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. Uh, In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to be reading... Oh, and my son and daughter are with me today. Yeah. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we just ask your blessing today that you touch every heart in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk to you just a little while as I empty my pockets here on uh, a thought. I I was trying to to think about what to speak on, and so this is just, uh, I, I entitled it Some Ins and Outs of Christian Living, and uh going to just talk about a um, that's some simple things, but when you think about it, there are a lot of people and there are a lot of churches out there that have, uh, they kind of base everything and they teach everything and, and it sounds good, but, but when you get down to it, it almost seems like it's more of, uh, everything is built on an admiration of Jesus, but not necessarily about Christ living through us. Uh, if that if that can make sense, if I'm getting that point across, you know they they talk a lot of good things and everything's about how thankful they are for Jesus and how they admire Jesus. But sometimes you just wonder, are they ever getting to the place where it's Christ living through us and what we are as uh, as as Christians? And we should admire Jesus. We should be thankful of Jesus. So don't get me wrong on that. But admiration for a great person can inspire us, but it cannot enable us. There's a there's a difference there. And so just because we admire someone, I thought I had it right, but I didn't. Just because we admire someone uh, doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do the things that, uh, that they're able to do. Um, there are a lot of people that admire Michael Jordan. Um, they own his shoes, his clothes, his hats, his shirt, everything that he sells. Uh, and they can't shoot a basketball. There are a lot of people that admire Serena Williams that can't, don't even know how to hold a tennis racket. And there are a lot of people, they have their favorite singer, their favorite actor or performer, but they can't sing, dance, or act. But they still, they admire 
that person. And usually most of us, when we do admire someone, is someone who has the ability to do something that we can't do, or at least to do it on a level that we don't think we would ever be able to, uh, to achieve. And so unless that person could somehow enter into our lives and share their skills and their talents and their abilities with us, we would never uh, be able to obtain their same great accomplishments. But see, we can do that with Christ because he comes in us and begins to work through us. So it takes more than just an example on the outside for us to follow. It takes a power on the inside. And so I'm sure if I asked here today uh, who in here admires Jesus, everyone would say yes. Every answer will be yes, every, every, every person in here. We all admire him. He is our great example. But how could anyone ever hope to achieve what Jesus did when you're just thinking about it from the human standpoint? It seems almost ridiculous to try, but the problem is really not that difficult when you're born again. See, Paul is, what he's doing here is he's setting before us the divine pattern for submit, the submissive mind or the renewed mind and the divine power to accomplish what God has commanded us. Now, you'll get a lot of people that they, there's a lot of places out there, I guess, from what I was talking about at the beginning, they're all about following the pattern, but they're denying the power. They're not, they don't realize about the power that needs to be inside uh, to accomplish it. And so it's God working in us that makes the difference. A lot of people admire Jesus. A lot of people try to follow some of his examples and his, and his teachings, but it's never going to work the way that it's supposed to work. See, we need to follow the example of Jesus, but we also need the power of Jesus inside of us if we're going to accomplish the will that God has for us or the destiny that God has for us. Imitation alone will not do it. It must be incarnation. It must be Christ living in us. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now in this walk with the Lord, in this Christian life, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have trials and tribulations. Uh, but really, it's more than just a series of ups and downs. It's a process of ins and outs. God works in us, and then we work out as the hands and feet of Christ, as do, uh, accomplishing the kingdom work that he has for us. And so as we cultivate the submissive mind and, and by responding to the divine provisions that, that God makes available to us, we can have the abundant life that Jesus said that we can have. And so in order for us to understand the ins and outs of Christian living, we need to realize uh, three things. And uh, I thought about going in order, but I'm just going to give them to you because sometimes I do that. So the first one is there's a purpose to achieve. The second one is there's a power to receive. And the third one is there's a promise to believe. I cannot remember where I stole them from, so you may have heard that before, but they still work. Um, I've had them written down for a long time. So verse 12 in the scripture that we read, it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the first thing we need to notice is that it does not say work for your salvation. There's a lot of people that get that mixed up and get themselves in all kind of bad situations. But we are saved by grace. We're not saved by works. But just because we're saved by grace does not mean that there's not work to do. There's a work for each of us to do. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. We should be putting out effort in our walk with the Lord. We need to work hard to show the results of our salvation, not to earn our salvation. 
We need to put in the effort, and we need to work out that salvation. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to say by, by work out our salvation uh, was to work to its full completion, to get the most out of it. Kind of like working in a, in a mine or in a, in a field. The miners, they work very hard to get all of the valuable ore possible from that mine. Whatever it is that they're after, they try to get as much as they can. They work really hard at it. The farmers work every day to get the greatest harvest possible that they can from their land. See, why should we be working out our salvation? Because there's a purpose to achieve. And the purpose that God wants us to achieve is Christ-likeness. We are to be like Jesus. He wants us to, to be conformed to the image of his, of his Son. And so sure, there's going to be those problems in life. There are going to be those ups and downs. But God will help us to work all of those things out as we trust in Him. See, every person in here, you are just like that field or you're just like that mine. You're, you are full of potential. I don't care what anybody has said about you. Even if you rode here to church with them this morning, what they said. Don't listen. You're full of potential. God has something special for each and every person. And God wants to help us fulfill that potential. Verses 16 and 17, Paul's contrasting the life of the believer with the lives of those who live in the world. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's a tough one for church people, but... Uh, there's a lot of complaining Christians around, and it's so easy to do it, but we're not supposed to. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. It doesn't always seem to work that easy, does it, when it comes to working with people, but we're not supposed to be grumbling and, and complaining. That's supposed to be the unsaved people. They're the ones that are supposed to complain and argue and find fault with everything, but we're supposed to be people that rejoice. See, society around us may be twisted and distorted, but we should stand straight because we measure our lives by God's Word, the perfect standard. And it's our lives, not somebody else's. We're good at measuring other people's lives. We need to stick, to stick to our own. See, the world may be dark, but as Christians, we should be lights. That's what the Bible says. This world has nothing to offer, but we have everything to offer. We have the word of life. We have the message of salvation through Jesus Christ that these people that aren't saved need to hear so desperately. And so as we allow God to achieve this purpose in our lives... We become better witnesses in a world that desperately needs a Savior. It's also important that we realize that we are to achieve this in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Paul doesn't tell us to retreat into some kind of spiritual isolation and, you know, move to one of those uh, towns like they were trying to build in the 80s where only saved people were allowed to buy a house there. We're to do it in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. We're, see, it's only as we're confronted with the needs and the problems of real life that we can begin to become more like Christ and people to see how amazing Jesus is. So the second thing is there's a power to achieve. Verse 13, it says that for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the principle that Paul is setting here is that God's wanting to work in us before he works through us. And so we see this over and over throughout the Bible with, uh, with Moses and David and Joseph and the apostles and so many others that he has a special purpose for each one to fulfill. 
Each person, each man was unique. He was not an imitation of someone else. And it took God some time to get some of these guys where they could be. Moses, you could say it took 40 years on the backside of the desert, but really what about the 40 before that with Pharaoh? So it, you could say it took him 80 years to get Moses. You know, I want to be as great a leader as Moses. Have you got 80 years to put in to get prepared for that? It took him 80 years to get him ready so that he could do a work through him. Someone once said, God is more interested in the workman than in the work. If the workman is what he ought to be, then the work will be what it ought to be. Sometimes we get so caught up in accomplishing things, we forget that we are God's treasure. We're the ones he's wanting to, he's wanting to invest in. And one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have to deal with in life, uh, in and outside the church, but is peer pressure. And it's not just young people that deal with it. You'll deal with this for the rest of your life. That's why you, people think they got to have a certain type of car or live in a certain size house or a certain neighborhood or dress a certain way because of the pressure that people put on them. It's what's expected. they got to do it. And it's the same way in the church. And uh, if you think about it with an open mind, you'll realize that there are a lot of Christians that obey God only because of the pressure on the outside and not because of a power or a presence on the inside. They're just following what the crowd is doing. And unfortunately, we have a tendency, all of us, to want to please man and some people to just obey God only when other people are watching I've seen that happen a lot being out in the service work for uh, 20 years uh, I've seen people act different ways just depending on who was on the phone while I happened to be at their house I go to their house for years sometimes and and you learn a lot about people and we probably all know people that have done this and if we're being honest we can probably think of a time where we've done it ourselves um, and it's not all peer pressure isn't always doing bad things sometimes it's just the way things go I can remember when I was I don't remember if I'd turned 19 yet or not but uh, when I was younger I was really skinny and I looked really young so uh, for some reason I decided to uh, get out of high school early and go to college about two weeks after turning 17 and I looked about 13 and I didn't fit in, I didn't like it, and as soon as I could grow facial hair, my day had finally arrived. And uh, I've only shaved this one time since I was 18, and that was, uh, uh, Heather asked me to do it, and she kindly asked me to never do it again. When she, Some things are better left covered up. So, I, uh, when I turned 18 and grew facial hair, I knew then that, hey, I was a man now. I didn't have to do anything my parents said. So uh, I quit going to church and uh, was doing my own thing with my friends and stuff. And, and uh, we had gone to Cumberland Church of God from the time I was born because my grandfather pastored there for about eight, a little over 18 years. And then he built the church in Grace Creek, and we went out there when I was 14. And uh, then uh, when he retired, I guess I retired too. I quit church too. And so um, I hadn't... Do you know how people joke with you when you miss a couple Sundays and say they're going to give you a visitor's card? That happened to me, for real. Uh, I looked so different. I grew my hair out to my shoulders, and I had, uh, uh, anyways, I looked different. And so uh, my parents had started going to another church, and I was on the, I was on the books at the church, and uh, they finally, I think, I don't remember if they convinced me or made me, but I had to go to church one Sunday. And I get there, and, I, and, and they, were, they were all over me, trying to introduce themselves, tell me about their youth group and all this kind of stuff. And I told them, I said, hey, I'm a member here. What they, they didn't know. They had no clue. 
So I didn't go back to that church anymore after that. But, but so now I'm, uh, it's been a while longer. I hadn't been in church in a while. And uh, my sister, Michelle, uh, she calls me. And she says, hey, there's this young evangelist going to be at Cumberland Church of God, and you need to come with me, and you'll really like him. He's like 32 years old. It was Joe Sneed. And uh, so I, I was like, I am not going to church. I mean, I'm getting visitor's cards at the church to go to. I'm not going to this revival with you during the week. It's not happening. And she, I don't know if it was true or not, but she starts telling me this elaborate story about how mom can't go and dad can't go. And Monty can't go with her, and she doesn't want to go by herself. And if I don't go, she might not be able to go, and blah, blah, blah. So I agree to go. I said, okay, I'll go. So I, I go, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and it was a great service because everybody was fired up for this guy, for, for uh, Brother Sneed to be there. And so the worship was great. The message was great. And the altar service was great. And I'm just sitting there, you know, minding my own business. And this guy calls me out. Have you ever been called out? Yeah, it wouldn't bother me that bad now, but uh, it doesn't feel good when you're 18, or not whatever I was, 18 years old. And, uh, and man, all the altar workers were fired up. They'd already been praying for people. And then they get a guy that looked like I looked. They, they were ready. <laughs> so he brings me down to the front, and he delivers a little mini-sermon to me on top of the one I just listened to. <laughs> and they start praying. Do you remember this night? They start praying, and they're, they're, they, you could feel the love. You could feel the compassion on their prayers. They were sincere and all, and uh, they finished praying, and he says, How do you feel? I said, I feel good. <laughs> he said, Okay, and then he gives me the list, you know, all the stuff I'm not supposed to do anymore. And uh, he gives me the list real quick. You need to get new friends. You need to do this. You need to, be, you know, and all this stuff. So I said, Okay, thank you, and I leave. And nothing changes. A couple months go by. She calls me. Y'all, uh, uh, Bishop Johnny is at Rivers now, but it used to be Cumberland. He was an associate then, and they had Joe Sneed a lot back then. They had him back in a few months. Michelle calls me. Hey, that preacher you like. I never even said I like this guy. That preacher you like. He's back. You need to come go to service with me. Well, what? I went the whole thing. I'm not going to that church again. He called me out in front of everybody. I'm, I'm not doing it. She gives me the same story. Mom can't go. Dad can't go. Monty's busy. Blah, blah, blah. And somehow I wind up back in that church. Singing was good. Preaching was good. Altar service starts, and I'm thinking, not tonight. <laughs> it's not happening. And so I remember... My grandfather and different preachers complaining about people hiding in the bathroom. I don't know if it was a real thing or not, but I just it was seemed like the best idea at the time. I said, you know, I could hide out in that bathroom until this altar service is over, and I'll be safe. I said, I'm not. He's not calling me out tonight, so I I walk as slow as I can to the bathroom. And so I feel bad for doing it because I've heard so many preachers talk about it. I said, well, I, I probably should really use the bathroom while I'm in here. Or, you know, maybe it's not a sin if I use the bathroom while I'm in here. So I, I am standing in the urinal using the restroom. And somebody taps me on the shoulder. And they don't do this. It was like this. It was like, 
I turn around because I'm using the bathroom. I can't, I don't, I don't want to stop. I said, yeah, it's the usher. It was Brother Hupp. And he said, excuse me, the evangelist would like to see you up front. And I thought to myself, like, real quick, you might be the worst sinner in Fayetteville. I've never heard of anybody. I've, heard, I've seen people get called out by preachers in all kinds of strange ways, but never in the urinal in the restroom. And so, and like, this is me. He's like this. Just tap me on the shoulder. And I said, uh, would you mind backing up so I can finish using the bathroom and wash my hands? And he backs up about this far and just stands there like I'm going to try and make a run for it or something. He wouldn't leave the bathroom. He stood there and watched me. So I washed my hands, and now I'm just thinking, this is just the, this is the craziest thing ever. So I'm, I'm walking back to the sanctuary, and I'm trying to imagine in my mind, did he call this guy over and whisper, or did he in the microphone tell everybody, you know, go get that long-haired boy. I think he went to the bathroom. He's hiding. <laughs> So I don't know, but I get to the back, and if you've ever been in that church, it's got a long, long walkway to the front. And this is the closest I'll ever, until I get to heaven, this is the closest I'll ever know what it feels like to be a bride. <laughs> but there's two ushers at the back waiting, and they opened the doors. And the whole church was watching me, or it felt like it anyways. And they brought me down to the front again. I was back at the same place I was a few months later. It was some of the same people, and they were more fired up than they were last time. They were going to get me this time. And so they started praying. He, well, first he said, is it, you know, he gave me, it was a shorter sermon than the last time, but he talked to me a minute, and he said, is it okay if we go ahead and pray with you? I said, sure, you can pray for me. And so they went to praying, and, it, and you could, I mean, it was so strong. You could feel the love and compassion from the people when they were praying, and they prayed, and they prayed, and... Uh, when they get done, he said, uh, how do you feel? I said, I feel good. He said, are you ready to start this day forward living for the Lord? I said, no. And when I did, uh, the older people weren't as fired up as they were uh, a few seconds ago. and they just were. They, but I knew one thing. I wasn't going to lie in church. I might have been doing a, some other stuff I shouldn't have been doing, but I wasn't going to lie in church. The guy asked me, and I said, he said, you can't say that. I said, well, I said, listen, we both know how this is going to end. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I feel good. I appreciate the prayers. I can feel the love on the people and all that. I said, but when I leave this place, I'm going to go back to my friends, and, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to be the same person I was before I walked in here. And uh, I said, it's easy to answer all your questions in here with this feeling, but it's going to be different when I get back out there. And so... He went into another sermon. He told me that the, 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 he started quoting scripture. He said, you can't do that. You've got to take every step by faith because uh, the Bible says the, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And he just starts, man, he was spitting them out. He was known for being able to do that. Yeah, I got a personal one of those things. And I told him again, I said, yeah, I appreciate it. I thank you, you know, but, but uh, you know, I don't know what you want me to say. So they let me go back to my seat. She pulled another fasten on me. Somehow I wound up at the same restaurant with this man and uh, had another, got another one about the needing to get rid of my friends. And, uh, and 
actually, I shared this story with someone one time, and the lady asked me, "Would I could could I come back and tell them about when I uh, when I did get saved?" Like I think she was worried that I never actually got saved. I did, but it was a, it was a couple years later. I had to tell that story another time, but uh, but I don't know why that I did what I did. I don't know why I didn't give in to the pressure. Because this was some pressure in this service. I was singled out as much as anybody could be singled out. I don't know why I didn't give in. Well, we probably have all seen people in situations like that. Maybe not that extreme, but we've seen it where they're being influenced by the pressure of the people around them and not by the power of God. And then we wonder, man, why did they quit going to church so soon? Why, it, why would they seem to be so easily pulled away? Or, or maybe you've had the thought like I have. You see them in the altar and they're crying and everything, and they don't even come back the next week. You're like, how could that happen? Maybe it was a reaction more to the pressure and not to the presence of God. Say, so if you come to church because your wife or your husband or your parents, or your grandparents or your kids make you come, then I'm glad that you come. But if you come to church and worship God because of pressure and not because of His power in your life, not because of His presence inside of you, then it will never last. Sooner or later, it will not work. See, our relationship with God is personal. And, and when, when we surrender to the power of God within us, then obedience becomes a delight and not such a struggle. And, that, and, and what is that power that works in us? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God inside of, inside of us. The final thing we have to realize is there's a promise to believe. Now, with these three things, um, some people will get one or two and not all three. We need all three in our lives because you have some people out there, they, they are all about that there's a purpose to achieve. They'll even sign up to be missionaries and go all over the world and they're not even, uh, they don't even have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They don't even realize that there's a power that can be with them. Then you have some people, they're all about the power. They like to get there and get wild every, every weekend with, you know, with their group, but they don't ever achieve anything for the kingdom of God. It's always just about them. And see, whatever purpose is that God has for your life, it's always going to be to help people in some way, in some form. It's to help uh, other, other people. And then you have some people that they're, they know that there's a purpose to achieve and they, they know that they have the power of God inside of them, but they forget about the promises of God. And so even though they're working hard, even though they're praying hard, even though they're filled with the Spirit and they're doing all these things, they're burning out and they're miserable because there's no, there's no joy or peace in their life. See, verse 17 and 18 says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. The promise is that joy comes. Joy comes from submission. See, the world's philosophy is that joy comes from aggression. Whatever you want, go get it. Fight for it. Get it. Take it. And when you get it, you'll be happy. But Jesus is proof that the world's philosophy is wrong. He never used a weapon, but he won the greatest battle in history. And he's still undefeated. He defeated sin, death, and hell. He defeated hatred by manifesting love, and he overcame lies with truth. And because he surrendered, he was victorious. It doesn't make sense to the world, but it's the way that it is. And today we need to believe the promise. Luke 4.11 says, 
For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 5, verse 3 in the Amplified, it says, Blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions or the poor in spirit. The humble who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, it's remarkable that in verses 17 and 18, Paul is discussing sacrifice and service, and he uses the words joy and rejoice. doesn't really seem like that fits to us, but yet he even repeats those words. Most people wouldn't associate these words with sacrifice and suffering and, and service. We would probably think of something more like sorrow or despair or a chore or whatever you would, you would put in there. But Paul saw suffering and sacrifice as doorways to a deeper joy in Christ. And that's the way we should be. See, it, it takes faith to exercise the submissive mind. We must believe that God's promises are true. We need to believe that they, that they are going to work in our lives just like they work for the Apostle Paul. God works in us, and then we work out. We, we become the hands and feet of Christ the way that, that we should. God works in us through the Word and through prayer and, and through, through the sufferings that we go through in our lives because we're all going to do it. And then we work out in our daily living and our service to our fellow man. So a lot of times what I like to do is, or try my best to do, um, I coach volleyball. And one of the things I try to do our, tell our girls is that when I'm, when I'm coaches, I'm gonna, I want to give them the why. Because a lot of times they're told to do things and they don't know why. And they keep doing it wrong. And then when you tell them why and it makes sense, they figure out a way to do it right because they know there's a purpose in doing it. And uh, sometimes I feel like that's what's happened to a lot of people when it comes to our walk with the Lord. There's a lot of things that uh, if we were to really question ourselves, we do them because that's what somebody said so. You know what I mean? You're, you're told to do this or do that because I said so. And so it, it goes, follows the same pattern where if we, have any of you ever, when you, like, grown in your walk with the Lord when your kids started asking you weird questions? Because you had never even thought of it yourself. You just did it because so-and-so said so. And when they ask you and you realize, you have to answer that question, you realize, oh, that's why we do that. And all of a sudden it becomes so much easier and so much more important in, in your life. Uh, that's how our kids have been for us with some strange questions they ask. But, but I was reading the other day, and actually this was coming to my mind because of uh, talking about being hard-hearted when I was here the, the other time. And uh, it was, they were talking about holy living. And started thinking about what is the real reason that we live holy lives? Because you've, especially if you've grown up in the church of God, you've heard that your whole life, about living a holy life and living a holy life. And when you ask some people, the first reason is going to be so you don't go to hell. You live a holy life so you don't go to hell. Um, and then you, they'll tell you about great generals in the faith. And one of them was Smith Wigglesworth. And Smith Wigglesworth, he was so strict in the way that he lived, he wouldn't allow anything in his house but the Bible. Uh, Lester Summerall, another great man of God, went to go visit him one day and had a newspaper under his arm and he said you can come in but that has to stay out because I only allow the truth in my house I don't allow lies and um, so he was almost like so holy he was rude about it and he would have all kind of crazy miracles happen and when they would happen uh, uh, it was just there's story after story you should just go read about him if you if you never have 
and, and you think someone like that and you start seeing how they live their life and it develops because it just happens over and over that now he, he died, what, early 1900s. Now you get to now and you're seeing people and they're talking about living holy and you think you're just supposed to live holy so you can have power. But that's not has nothing to do with it. It's not what it's about. See, when it comes to living a holy lifestyle, the reason God wants you to do it, and I think this maybe this will help you if you've struggled with it, because when I was growing up, I just thought we weren't supposed to do anything fun. Everybody else got to do all this stuff, and they must, you know, they were just having fun until they went to hell, but we were going to be all right because we weren't doing these things. <laughs> and that's really not how it works. Jesus, he's taking care of a lot more things than we give him credit for taking care of when he went to the cross. But the reason that you live a holy life is because your heart is going to be open to something and it's going to be hardened to something. And it's your choice of what that is. And so we talked about not having a hard heart like the disciples. And so, so when, you, when you are living a holy lifestyle, that is when you're opening up your heart to the Word and what it says and to God. And when you do that, you're closing your heart not only to the world and the world's philosophy of things, but also to your own senses. That's why when Smith Wigglesworth would pray for someone and they weren't healed, he would tell them they were, and they woke up the next morning healed. If we pray for someone, uh, even someone that he had one where the guy grew legs, but uh, can you imagine that? He told the guy to go buy some shoes. He didn't have any legs. That was his prayer. Go buy some shoes. That's it. We could pray for that guy and cry and, and holler for two hours and then be peeking our eyes open to see if we see a little leg growing out. If the leg didn't grow, we just keep right on going back. That's because most of the time our hearts are hardened to what the promises of God's Word are, and they're open to what we see in our senses and what the, what the world is. And so what he, the way he would live his life, he was so in tune to God and shut off to the world that it was ju it's just a result. It's not a reward. God's not going to reward you for, oh, you lived a holy life and you're going to have all this favor on you. It's a result of living that life set apart. You're closing your heart off to the world and to even your own senses. And to, it's just something that happens naturally. God wants you to live a holy life because he wants to build that relationship with you. Not because he wants to keep something from you. But as long as we continue, it's like this. Jesus says he's already, they've already, he's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He's already provided everything you ever need for healing, salvation, deliverance, prosperity. It's already been done. He said, it's finished. The question is, how much of that are we going to tap into? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or even imagine. And the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. How much more do you need? But as long as you're, everything's like the world then you're going to be closed off to that, just like the disciples were. You're not going to see that manifested in your life. He wants you to live that holy life so that you can begin to experience what His Word promises. See, God fulfills His purposes in us as we receive and believe His Word. But we're never going to be able to do that if we're not living a life that's centered toward that, that's making that be a possibility. I'm not saying that you got to throw your newspapers out of your house or off your phone. Nobody gets them at the house anymore. But it's just, you know, there's just everybody's going to be a little bit different, but it needs to be intentional, whatever it is that you're doing. You need to realize the reason why and the importance that God would never ask you to do anything for no reason. He has a reason, and it's always going to be for your good. See, our pattern comes from Jesus Christ. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit, and the promise or the result of all of it should be joy. Have you ever seen some really good Christian people, and they were always miserable? 
Some, you just didn't want to, you knew that, man, they live a holy life, but you just didn't want to be around them. They just weren't any fun at all. They were just sap the joy right out of you. If you had any, they would take it from you, and they wouldn't even use it. They'd throw it on the ground and let you just sit there with them and look. They don't want it. They don't realize the promise that he's given us. We should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Because it shouldn't matter what we should be praying and we should be concerned for everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in our neighborhoods and our communities, but it shouldn't be affecting our joy. Because our joy and our peace comes from God. And if we have our hearts open to him, none of that's going to matter. Those circumstances aren't going to dictate the way that we live our lives or the way that we prosper. So we need to realize as we're going through this walk that there is a purpose to achieve, there's a power to receive, and there's a promise to believe. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our Connect Groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.